welcome to the first episode of Trekler Talk, a fan podcast devoted to the adventures of 23rd century bounty hunter Mercy St. Clair from the pages of Trekler Comics by creator, writer, and artist Ron Randall. I'm Darren. And I'm Ruth. First, a couple of disclaimers. This is a fan podcast and the opinions expressed are just ours. We are not affiliated with Dark Horse Comics, who most often publish the Trekker comic and graphic novels. However, as fans who want to see Trekker continue and grow, we encourage others to purchase Trekker whenever Dark Horse publishes it. We are also not affiliated with creator, writer, and artist Ron Randall, other than being fans of his work and having had the pleasure to meet him at comic conventions in the past, where we found him to be a real gentleman who appreciates his fans. So if you ever have a chance to meet him at a convention, we encourage you to do so. You'll get a good conversation, and he always has a nice selection of prints and original art for sale if you're interested. If you are new to Trekker, you're probably wondering where you can find it. The comic has been published off and on since the late 1980s, but it's actually quite easy to find the stories thanks to the graphic novels and digital collections. First, there's the excellent Trekker Omnibus from 2013. It includes every Trekker story from the original run and is a great place to start. It also has a nice intro by Gail Simone. It is reasonably priced and available in print, or you can download it directly onto your tablet of choice by purchasing a, a digital copy from either Dark Horse Comics app or the Amazon Kindle store. Another place to visit is Ron Randall's site, TrekkerComic.com, where he has revived the character with brand new material. He puts up a new page every Monday, and it's the best thing about starting a new week. At the time of this recording, TrekkerComic.com has recently started Part 3 of the Jekka storyline, which has been running just over a year. In addition, the first completed story from the TrekkerComic.com site has been collected into a graphic novel called The Train to Avalon Bay. As with the Trekker Omnibus, The Train to Avalon Bay is available in print on the Dark Horse comic app and from the Amazon Kindle store. And I can personally say that if you're a Trekker fan from the original run, you will love this new story. It has everything that made you a Trekker fan to begin with. Okay, I think we're just about ready to get into the review portion of the show. But before we do so, let's briefly cover our plan format. We're expecting in each episode that we're going to provide a summary of a Trekker issue and then spend a few minutes discussing it. We'll talk about the story, characters, and art. We'll also talk about influences or connections that we see in the issue. In essence, we're going to talk about all the elements that made us Trekker fans to begin with. However, we hope that over time, this will become an interactive podcast, which means we want to hear your thoughts as well. What do you like? What do you agree with? What do you disagree with? Did we miss something obvious? Do you just have another point of view? Just let us know. Let's try to get social and talk about Trekker. All right. So at the end of this episode, we'll give you some ways to contact us to share your ideas. So send in your thoughts, and we'll include your comments in future episodes. Okay, now we're going to look at the very first issue of Trekker. It was published in the anthology series Dark Horse Presents in three parts in issues numbered 4, 5, and 6 back in January, February, and April of 1987. Dark Horse Presents was a popular anthology series from Dark Horse Comics from 1986 to 2000 and returned to publication in 2011. This first Trekker story was originally published in black and white, but was reprinted in the Trekker Omnibus in 2013 with new interior colors by Jeremy Colwell. Letters are by David Jackson, and of course, it is written and illustrated by Ron Randall. While the story was split into three parts, each part was only eight pages long, so at the end of the three parts we have a 24-page story, which is basically a single issue of a standard comic. 
So in summary, we're going to cover all three parts as a single story. We're going to try to follow this approach in future episodes by generally covering single issues worth of story in each episode. All right. So depending on which version you're reading, the first story may or may not have a cover. However, we're guessing many of you will be reading from the Trekker Omnibus, and you definitely get a cover in that version. You see mercy in the foreground. A gun is in each hand. One of them is smoldering. There's a futuristic cityscape in the background, including flying ships to establish the sci-fi setting. There's a body on the ground, the apparent recipient of a blast from the smoldering gun in Mercy's hand. There's a distinctive signature in the corner that says Ron Randall. It's interesting to us that two of our favorite artists, who are Ron Randall and Mike Grell, both have nice artistically designed signatures. And of course, the two have other things in common, including a connection to the excellent Warlord comic that we'll probably talk about sometime in the future. But let's move on with this story. Turning the page, part one starts. We see again a cityscape with dark, dirty alleys. New Gelliff is established as the location. There's a group playing cards. A guy named Fossil is complaining about waiting for someone named Gatefish. The others warn him to be quiet. Suddenly, a pouch of money lands on the table, and a woman appears among the group. She warns them that no one needs to die. She just wants information about the Gatefish meeting. The woman begins to narrate at this point, and the reader gets a feel for the storytelling technique. The narration has the feeling of a classic black-and-white film noir movie. You quickly realize this story fits into a dark retro future similar to Blade Runner. You also know this won't be a straightforward action story, but rather something with adventure, mystery, suspense, and conflict. In other words, something much more interesting than a straightforward action story. Her narration tells us she is Mercy Sinclair. She's a trekker, which is a bounty hunter. She brings in thugs, dead or alive. The pay is the same. Laser bolts fly, and Mercy quickly dispatches most of the group. Fossil remains, injured and bleeding. Mercy wants information, then she'll get him medical help. She quickly gets her answer. The location of the Gatefish meeting is near the Blue Horn at midnight. The next scene we see, the police have arrived, and Mercy is talking to one of them. Her narration and the conversation tell us that the police haven't been able to control things for 20 years, thus the need for trekkers. But the police and trekkers don't like each other. However, this cop seems to be concerned about Mercy and tries to warn her about Gatefish. At this point, the narration changes from Mercy's thoughts to the cop's thoughts, and we learn even more about Mercy. She lives in Ontari Alley, which is apparently a bad neighborhood, and we see her as she heads home to get some rest before her midnight appointment. There we meet her pet, Scuff, and see a softer side of Mercy. As the narration continues, we can tell the cop has known Mercy for a long time and remembers a time when she and Scuff were much younger. Later it is midnight, and we find Mercy at the Blue Horn, which we see now as a giant neon sign atop a building. Mercy is hiding inside the O in Horn, watching the arrival of Gatefish, when she's ambushed by two men wearing anti-gravity belts and using something she calls sensors. They gas her. Later, she wakes, being held over an open hole in the floor of a hover ship. She's told they've given her a small arsenal of weapons and an anti-gravity belt to slow her fall. They plan to drop her into a den of rivals, hopefully eliminating multiple problems at once. A scene of Mercy following is next, and is particularly stunning in the new colored version, looking very 3D, especially on a tablet. She drops through the skylight in the roof of the building, and part one ends. Part two opens with a full-page firefight as Mercy makes good use of the weapons Gatefish provided, though probably not the way he intended as she quickly makes an escape instead of dying as he wanted. In an alley, she finds herself pulled up into an overhead pipe by an unknown benefactor, who subsequently nicknames her Firecracker. Mercy suspects he's another Trekker, but instead learns he works for Rigel, which she's never heard of, 
but it's another name to remember for the future. Mercy and her new acquaintance make their way through the maze of corridors, taking out the occasional guard. The two find a garage where she takes off in a hover car, giving her new acquaintance the nickname Space Case as she leaves. Next, we follow the cop we met earlier to his office where Mercy is waiting for him. She asks for assistance, and he agrees to help. The two begin to work out a plan as she explains Gatefish must have a council member in his pocket because he's using government-grade weapons, including the anti-gravity belts and the sensors she referenced earlier. Both suspect Councilman Gray and decide to use Mercy as bait by leaking some information. As Mercy leaves, we see the door to the cop's office and learn his name is Alex St. Clair. And part two ends. Part 3 opens with Mercy at home again, preparing her weapons and feeding Scuff the last can of food from an otherwise empty cabinet. Mercy hears a noise at the door and then pulls her weapon as a young woman enters the apartment. Mercy quickly drops her weapon and we are introduced to Molly and learn the two are friends and that Molly is a shopkeeper. Knowing Mercy's line of work and knowing she was away, Molly has come to feed Scuff. As Molly leaves, we see the police are in hiding, keeping an eye on Mercy's apartment. As Mercy walks the streets posing as bait, we see a flying car crash land on the street in front of her. As the hiding police scramble to get a view of Mercy in the smoke-filled streets, we see her being pushed into an open grate. Mercy's down for a moment, but is quickly up with her weapons blazing. But it's dark, and she's knocked back down. But she's not staying down and is back up just as quickly, and this time gets her hands on one of her assailants and takes his infrared glasses, giving her a view of the surroundings. This allows her to get the drop on Gatefish. To wrap up the story, we see a conversation sometime later between Mercy and Uncle Alex. It tells us that Gatefish was out of prison in only two weeks. Just another example of the world of the Trekker. And that's it for the first Trekker story. Okay, so that was the first story. So what did you think about it? Ah, fabulous. I have read this before and was so happy to be rereading and looking at the art again. Yeah, it is a great starting story, I think. What always impressed me about this was that it doesn't have to be an origin story. We don't learn how Mercy became a trekker, but it still gives us everything we need to know in order to start with the story and follow it going forward. That's a good point. It's like we're just dropped in uh, and see what's going on at that moment in time, and I got caught up in it quickly. So great starting story. Yeah, it really is. And she makes a great heroine, too. She's, matter of fact, to the point, no nonsense, uh, really enjoyable character. So what did you think of it? Well, character development is one thing that stands out to me, as well as the art. The art is fabulous. Pencils, inks, colors just really bring it to life for me. And the setting. So you've got, you know, the cityscapes and all the different places you get to travel and see. Really enjoyed that. Yeah, I, I like the settings a lot, too. Uh, I enjoy his art style that he chose for this, or the setting he chose for it, I guess, is the better word, because you get a feel for, well, it's definitely the future. You know, it tells us it's in the 23rd century. Uh, we know it's a science fiction story, but at the same time, it sort of feels, you know, that it crosses multiple genres, because, uh, you know, I say repeatedly, it, it always makes me feel or think of a film noir-type story just feels like it has that mood or vibe to it that I really enjoy because I like that genre a lot. I agree with that. And you also were mentioning the art style too. It's nice to see his style, you know, the way the city looks, the way the hover cars look. It reminds me a lot of the classic 
daily comic strips of Buck Rogers and Flash Gordon, and it has that sort of feel to it, sort of like a pulp or a serial. And uh, I really think Ron Randall's art style reminds me a lot of Alex Raymond's art style, just sort of more of a modern version of it. That's a good point. I had not thought to make that comparison. Yeah, like that. And uh, also, being a fan of like Jules Verne and H.G. Wells novels too, I always think that you know this world isn't too far removed from that. You can see elements of that type of sort of retro future as well in this story. I like retro future. I like that. So it's futuristic as well as taking a little bit of a dip into maybe costumes from the 1940s, something around that kind of timeline for some of the regular costumes. Yeah, I I agree. What were you going to say? Speaking of costumes, I want to talk a little bit about Mercy St. Clair's costume. I would say that unlike most comic book costumes for females, this one is not overly sexy, skin tight. It is functional and looks great at the same time. It looks like she can move in it easily. You can sometimes see the folds, you know, in the sleeves. Doesn't look too restrictive, so she can do all of the kicking and fighting and blasting that she needs to along the way. Uh, There's also, what, paddings on the, I guess, the knees, elbows, strategic places. So while she's doing her fighting, she's protected. And don't forget, What I really like, too, is for some added flair, she has a cape, which can be gathered around her neck kind of like a scarf, so it's some kind of thin, lightweight material. But when she needs to, she can, like, release it into the wind, and there's that dramatic effect of it fluttering behind her, uh, lovely golden, I'm sorry, not golden, purple, purpley tones. Um, Let's say I'm imagining her against a golden landscape. I I see what you're saying there. Yeah, that purple against a golden sunset or sunrise. Yeah, I see what you were thinking. Uh, I really agree. I like the costume a lot. Uh, I think that shows how forward-looking this comic was because it certainly didn't sexualize or stereotype Mercy. She is a heroine, and you don't think about the fact of Uh, She's a woman in a man's world. She's just a woman in her world. And I always liked that about it. And thinking that this was from 1987 is really nice. And it shows how forward uh, thinking the story was. One other thing I was just thinking of, too, is certainly not to jump on a bandwagon, but I know uh, steampunk is so popular in this day and age. And certainly you don't get any steampunk elements directly in this story. Yet at the same time, you could just imagine that that world, again, sort of fits in this. And I guess that's the Jules Verne, H.G. Wells sort of elements as well. Okay, in this next part, we're going to do a page flip through and just sort of talk about what we think of as we see each page or what we might have forgotten later. So we don't need to cover the cover because I already covered the cover. (laughs) That's true. All right. Okay, I'm starting with the first page here. I really like the long-distance shot showing us the city skyline. And then each panel kind of zooms in. You get closer and closer, and you can tell you're zooming in to a particular apartment building, and then you're getting inside of the apartment itself and that's a very cinematic kind of storyboard approach to the beginning and I I thought that was done very effectively. Yeah, I agree. It it really is like you're watching a movie or something in the very first scene. 
So uh, if we flip on to the next page, all right. So uh, we see sort of Mercy, uh, nice little close-up of Mercy there on the very next page and sort of gets into the beginning of the action. And then we move on to, I guess, it's the third page, which uh, is just an amazing page, in my opinion, because uh, this illustrates, I think, Ron Randall's strength of being able to show action scenes because you see panel after panel of Mercy in different positions, moving different directions, firing her guns in different directions, just very uh, action-oriented. And uh, one thing I want to point out is there in the center right panel, you sort of get the first time we see this, which is that close-up of Mercy's face with the two muzzle flashes. And it's the first time we've seen it, but it's a very iconic Trekker image that we'll see often over the years. Yeah, that is great. I appreciate you pointing that one out. And we flip on to the next page, and that's where we meet Uncle Alex for the first time. Mm -hmm. Nice colors, nice scenes again. I just really like his perspective that he uses. There again on the lower right-hand side, the back shot of uh, Mercy and Alex together. It's just a a little simple panel, but really nice and moody. That's great composition. Let's see. I'm flipping ahead, and I see Scuff. Now this creature... Seems to be a mix of a dog, a fox, a cat. I keep debating which kind of combination it is. That makes a nice little entrance on this page. No, I agree. Yeah, it's it's cute to see her interact with something like that right after that big action scene. She looks much more relaxed. And then she looks very surprised. You know, she's in this relaxed atmosphere, petting her little dog. You see she's smiling. And then she sees the blood on the back of her glove. And it brings her back to the world that she was just in. So if we move on to the next page then, oh, that's where she's hiding in the O in the blue horn. Nice little straightforward page. There's the guys hovering around in the background yeah. with their, what was it, gravity belts? Yeah, the anti-gravity belts. Yeah, yes. <laughs> makes you think a little bit maybe of the Rocketeer or something there, right? And then uh, moving on to the next page, I really like where she's being held over the hole in the bottom of the hover ship. It just, okay. uh, I think he got the, again, the perspective or the, the body movement right there because the people who are holding her, you know, you can believe that they're holding that weight, getting ready to drop her. So uh, it's just, I think, a nice little action scene, even though nothing's moving right there. Yeah, it's like there's a glass door on the bottom of the ship that's just about to open. And you can see it's like the moment right before they're going to drop her. I right. like it. Yeah, me too. So, and then if we flip on to the next page, uh, it actually has a panel that I just love, that very top left panel. I mean, it looks great in the original black and white version, but with the colors added and on a tablet, it just looks so three-dimensional. When you zoom in on that panel, you just look and can feel like Mercy is falling straight toward that skylight. She is falling and has a long drop. You can really see the distance that she has to fall before she hits. All right, now we move on to part two. Okay. Exciting opening scene there, like she has landed and the guns are blazing. I like it. Yeah, and the the very next page is even better. I mean, it's, again, panel after panel of action scene, again, catching her in uh, different positions, firing different directions, laser bolts all around. Again, uh, it keeps being in the lower right corner, interestingly, but there's another panel I just love there. Very small, mercy in the distance, dark shadows all around except for the little bit of fire that's just behind her. It's a great position that she's in. It looks like she's moving and trying to scramble out of there. It's a really great use of light and dark and the the shadows. That's really impressive. Yeah, thanks. That's a good point. And then on the very next page, we meet uh, the unnamed Rigel agent. Of course, 
we might remember who he is. We do remember who he is from later on, but we don't know right now, so we're not going to talk about it. But uh, it's a funny little interaction sequence, I think, you know, that he saves her. She elbows him. You know, he says, I have other ribs. Uh, it's a fun little scene and, and nicely composed. And as we flip the next page, we sort of see Mercy and the Rigel agent continue to make their way through here, taking out a couple of bandits here and there. Uh, and then we get to her escaping, and she has to give him a nickname back, giving him Space Case nickname. And then it flips. Uh, we switch to a scene with Uncle Alex. And I love that very first panel of Uncle Alex coming in. He's just shattered in such a way, and he's sort of slumped in such a way. You just see the weight of everything he has to deal with on his shoulders. I like that. And I think it creates an atmosphere. It's like, you know, there's whispering, there's planning, there's a bit of intrigue, you know, getting ready to, you know, plot and see what they're going to plan between the two of them. Yeah, I like that. I like the shadows in this section. You know, it's like a, a dark room where, you know, different plans are being laid out. All right. And then let's see, we move on. We get to the last page of page two, or actually, I guess uh, part two actually ends right there where uh, we see Lieutenant Alex St. Clair, and then it flips over to part three, and we get that nice opener. Yes, this is an incredible opening page here. Okay, now I have the first page of part three in front of me, and what is striking to me about this page is the absence of conversation. There are no word bubbles. It's quiet. Mercy is at home. She's got a little bit of time in between waiting for the next event and, you know, just a nice little behind the scenes in the house, what's going on moment. Uh, it's it's interesting. We have, we have a different perspective on that. You're talking about it being quiet. To me, it's this page seems very suspenseful. Uh, it is quiet, but it gives me a sense of suspense. She's having to get her weapon ready, but she also needs to take care of Scuff, and she puts Scuff, you know, first. She pulls out that one lone can of uh, mm -hmm. of food to uh, feed it, and then she's right down sitting there, that very last panel. She's sitting there all alone with the door in the background and her weapon raised, so I get a feeling of suspense and tension there. So, interesting. Different, different take on it. Go on. Moving forward. Aha. So we've been waiting, suspenseful, and there is suddenly a noise at the door. So who is there? What's going to happen next? Someone comes in, and it's that interaction with Molly, who has come over, startled her, and they figure out what's going on. So it's a nice little surprise scene as she's coming through the door. Yeah, I like it because it, you get a little suspense and tension because we don't know Molly yet. We don't know who she is. We don't know what she's coming for. But I like the way he handled it because he doesn't stretch it out and make it unrealistic the way some writers or artists would. You get just a moment of tension and then you get the immediate release of the fact that, oh, it's her friend Molly. And we get introduced to Molly right away and we see how nice Molly is because we learn that, you know, she's come over just to look after Scuff thinking that Mercy isn't home. Mm -hmm. It's well done. Yeah, I agree. And then as Molly leaves, you get to see the police hiding in the background scene that they're keeping an eye on, on Mercy. And that leads into a, a really nice page of Mercy walking down the street. Uh, again, I just love the cityscapes in the backgrounds here. You see, you know, the, the dirty fog in the air. You see the hover ships all around. And you get a couple of nice close-ups of people in the background behind 
uh, mercy where you can actually make out facial details. You know, these guys are going to be important. And of course, you know, one of them is following her. And when the uh, hover car crashes, he pushes her down the grate. And she's well-dressed and clean. So it's like her costume stands out to me. You've got the vibrant purple there against kind of the dirty, smoggy background. Looks I, nice. I like that. That's a really good point. I hadn't thought about that. And then we get the, in the very next page, which is one of my favorite pages in the book, which um, you get that very first panel where Mercy's on the ground, almost uh, like she's kneeling before someone. And you see the shadows uh, that look like bars as though she's in a prison. But she very quickly, again, proves that she's not t- typical because she's there just a moment and then she's up and her guns are firing. Mm-hmm. I like that. Guns blazing fast. And then right after that, you get another great action page. Of, oh, uh, yeah. this is one that I really like. A, a nice touch here. They've ended up in a dark setting. It's hard to see. Uh, the bad guys have on infrared glasses so that they can see her, but she can't see them. But in all of the struggles and groping around, she manages to grab one of those pairs of glasses and put it on. And they look so cool. It's just this nice you know, thin band that goes across her eyes and almost looks like it's glowing. It's a nice effect. It is. Yeah, I agree. And uh, once she has those glasses on, then she's fully oriented and in very quick succession, she takes down Gatefish. So from there, we turn to the very last page, which uh, is another page I really love because it's almost an inversion of the page we saw earlier. We get a almost full page view of Mercy standing above Gatefish. So now while Mercy was looking like she was kneeling before someone a couple of pages before, now Gatefish looks like he's kneeling before Mercy. She's standing above him. She's bathed in sunlight that's coming in from above, and she just looks triumphant at that point in time. But but then we have the last few panels on the lower right corner. What do they tell yes, us? Yes, off to the side, kind of some conclusion. Good news is she got her bounty. She's gotten a fat paycheck, and she was able to stock her empty cupboards with food for scuff. I think that is really sweet. She she puts that that little scuff first. Yeah, I like that too. But at the same time, in the very last panel, we get told that Gatefish was out in just two weeks. But you know, we learn that that's what this world is like. So tough world. <laughs> So in this next section, we're going to talk about what our favorite pages and favorite panels were. Uh, it's nice because there's there are so many good pages, it's always hard to try, uh, hard to decide. But uh, we're going to use the page numbering from the Trekker Omnibus when we talk about these to sort of help you out. But I had trouble deciding. Um, I hope I don't have trouble every issue, but maybe I will. But I had a couple that I really liked. Page 25, which I think is the first page of Part 3. It's sort of nice. I like that where she, we talked about that page just a little while ago where she's getting ready uh, with her weapons and scuffs there that she's wanted to take care of. I also really like the other page I talked about, which is page 29, where she's on the ground looking almost like she's kneeling, and then she's so quickly up and firing her weapons. I, I think that's a great page. But I think I have to say that my favorite page, which is is difficult to decide, but I think I'll go with page 18, which is the second page of part two. I just love all of the different uh, perspectives and poses and you know, all the different angles that are being used here. It looks stunning in black and white. The colors that Jerry McColwell added are even more amazing. It just uh, leaps off the page. What were you wanting to say there? I am interested to hear this. I didn't know which pages you had chosen. So we had 
25 in common. So that one, the first page of part three, I had also chosen as a top contender of mine. But my very top winner, let me look here, page 16. So this is the one with kind of the three-dimensional effect, and she's falling out of the sky toward the building. Just a lot of great movement, motion, and action all on one page. That's my top. Oh, that's that's really neat because... Uh, you know, we we're talking about favorite pages, so we just went through favorite pages, and then next we were going to talk about favorite panel. And interestingly, my favorite panel is not on my favorite page, uh, so I was going to tell you that my favorite panel, when we got to that section, is the first panel on page 16, huh. which is <laughs> where she's falling from uh, the hover car toward the uh, skylight. That's just my favorite panel in the book. So. Okay. What about you? That was what about a your very good choice. And then now go with me to page 10. To look at the top left corner, and basically it's a headshot of Mercy. It's simple, it's clear, she's lovely, and I really like it. So that's that's my favorite. <laughs> it's a gorgeous picture of her. You could just imagine, oh, uh, you know, I need to get Ron Randall to sign that and yes. just frame it. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that would look good on my wall. I agree. Very nice. All right. Next up, uh, in each episode, we want to talk about significant characters from the stories and get to know them in a section we're going to call Who's Who. Uh, We're going to try to avoid looking ahead, even if we might remember more from later stories. That means we'll revisit characters over time as we learn more things about them. Well, first up, and this is fitting, title character, Mercy St. Clair. We meet her on the very first page of the book, and that's where we are learning she is a trekker, which is a bounty hunter. She lives in Antari Alley, which is in the bad part of town, and a trekker's life isn't easy. She spends most of her money on weapons for her job and food for herself and her pet, Scuff. And Scuff looks like a cross between a cat, a dog, and a fox, and it is actually a breed known as the Docks. Next, we talk about Alex St. Clair. We know the police and trekkers don't generally like each other, but of course, Mercy's uncle Alex is a lieutenant in the police force, and the two obviously care for each other and look after each other. We just get hints here, but it's enough to know that something has happened in Mercy's past, but that will have to wait for another story. Molly Sundowner. Molly is a shopkeeper and a friend of Mercy's. While she makes only a brief appearance in this story, we learn that she has a key to Mercy's apartment and she looks after Scuff while Mercy is away, so she's obviously a good friend. And the last character we'll talk about this issue is the unnamed Rigel agent that we meet. Uh, We don't know much about him other than he helps Mercy out, even though he didn't even know her before. He gives her the fire name, the nickname, not fire name. Mm -hmm. He gives her the nickname Firecracker, and she gives him the nickname Space Case. But don't worry, we'll be meeting him again. So the What's Up section is next. This is the part of the show where we want to talk about other things going on and other things that we are fans of. We hope everyone finds it interesting, and maybe there will be other parts of fandom that Trekkers fans share that we have in common. Yeah, that's nice just to see. So we have a historic theater not too far from us where we live. It's a combination. It has a performance theater with a stage where they have lots of musical concerts and comedians come in and perform throughout the year. In addition, it has a cinema that specializes in showing independent films as well as retro film festivals. And interestingly, it had a Kickstarter campaign just earlier this year to raise money to install new seats. 
And since this was the theater's 89th anniversary, they had a donation level of $89, which was a great way to contribute, and we did. Uh, at that level of donation, you got some free movie tickets and uh, some free concession coupons. And once the new seats were installed, but before the cinema was back open to the general public, they had a special screening for contributors that were free. And we were able to sit in the new seats, very first ones there, and they were the very seats that we helped pay for. And as a contributor, we had a choice of seeing a few different films. We uh, could have seen E.T., Purple Rain, or Vertigo. And of course, I'm sure anyone who's listening to this podcast could guess that we chose to see Vertigo yes. as many times <laughs> as we've mentioned film noir. It's an easy choice for us because uh, we're big fans of most anything by Alfred Hitchcock. And I'll add the new seats were gorgeous. They were dark burgundy, very comfortable, and it was a great night out. Yeah, and burgundy is one of my favorite colors, so yes. <laughs> they did a good job choosing. So, And even better, we're going to be back there again soon because they're showing the Maltese Falcon during one of their upcoming retro film festivals. So, yes, we like film noir, and we'll be back there again soon. And I'll add that convention season is upon us this summer, and we'll be attending Heroes Con in Charlotte, North Carolina. It is... A very well-run convention with an amazing variety of guests. So if you're in the area, we encourage you to give it a try. All right. We certainly hope you've enjoyed this podcast, but it's time to wrap things up. Before we close, we want to give you some contact information, though. And we really hope we can get some discussions going on related to Trekker. It was such a great series, and we think it would be fantastic to share thoughts and talk with other fans about the title. So let's try to get a little social with the series. Yeah, I hope we can. Uh, if you want to contact us directly, you can send us an email at trekkertalk at gmail.com. In addition, if you're on Twitter, then message us at, at trekkertalk or use hashtag trekkertalk. And if you have ideas about other hashtags to help spread the word about Trekker, let us know and we'll share them going forward. However, more importantly, we want to encourage you to follow and support Ron Randall on social media. He's the real source of all things Trekker. Well, I'll tell you, a great place to start is TrekkerComic.com. That's where he publishes a brand new page of Trekker every Monday, and it really is a great way to start the week. And at TrekkerComic.com, you'll also find links to everywhere else you can find Ron Randall from Facebook, Twitter, and Tumblr. And we definitely encourage you to follow him and post to his pages. Let him and other fans know what you think of his new Trekker pages. It would be fun to get some good conversation going about the new material. His Facebook page is a great place to share those thoughts, and hopefully others will share thoughts back. And uh, also on Twitter, you know, it's just a great place for us all to try to chat. Oh, and let me add, at TrekkerComic.com, you can also find a link to Ron Randall's Patreon page, where if you want to, you can choose to contribute to him and help support him as he creates this new Trekker material. All right, and last but not least, we want to thank Rob and Shag, who produced the excellent Fire & Water podcast and who gave us words of support and direction when we had the idea to put this show together. The two of them also run great fan blogs. Rob is at aquamanshrine.net and Shag is at firestormfan.com. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll come back next month for another episode of Trekker Talk. Trekker Talk is not affiliated with Dark Horse Comics or Ron Randall. The views expressed on the show are solely ours. 
Music is taken from the album Royalty-Free Music, Movies and Videos from the Royalty-Free Music Club and the album Various Royalty-Free Songs. Sound effects are taken from the album Cartoon Sound Effects from the Royalty-Free Sound Effects Factory. We make no money from this podcast and no copyright infringement is intended. <laughs>